Welcome to the ABQ Accent, where catalysts, innovators, and risk takers share what their accent is on their work. Like a spoken accent, we all have an inflection or emphasis on where we put our energy. Join us to learn how these folks are putting their accents to work, building their vision of the future, and how you can get involved. Hello and welcome everyone to the ABQ Accent. I'm Mariah Harrison here with the City of Albuquerque and I'm very happy to be able to join Jennifer Burke on um, our interview today. She's a, a dear friend here in Albuquerque community. We actually met at a CrossFit gym. <laughs> yes, we did. So I was witness <laughs> to her strength early on. Uh, Jennifer, thank you for being here with us. I'm just going to give a little bit of an overview and then I would love to give you the floor. Okay, sure. Okay. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So Jennifer Burke is the executive director of Healing Addiction in our community and Serenity Mesa Recovery Center. Uh, and she's going to expand on what those are. But in general, the uh, healing addiction and recovery, um, healing addiction in our community began in mm -hmm. 2010. And then that gave way to your um, to your work with Serenity Mesa, focusing on youth between the ages of 14 to 21 that are struggling with addiction and coming into recovery and, and living a bigger, brighter life. And I and what you what you have is a continuum of care. <laughs> yep. uh, and one thing that I really want to point out about Serenity Mesa is a quote that you have on your website that says, "There are as many roads to recovery as there are recovering people," and we focus on individualized programming. So, um, if you could please tell me the what of um, healing addiction in our community and why that really came into your life and what, what you've put your work into and then uh, talk about Serenity Mesa. Sure. Um, so, you know, thank you for having me. I, I love talking about the work that we're doing and the how we're helping young people in Albuquerque. So I appreciate you having us on the show. Sure. Um, healing addiction in our community, like you said, it started in 2010. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, I was a full-time employee at uh, a local credit union here and I had recently found out that my son was addicted to heroin. Mm. So he was 16 years old. He went to La Cueva High School. He was an athlete. Um, he was very, you know, for all intents and purposes, a normal kid. Right. And he got injured and mm. he, he had to have surgery. And then he was prescribed prescription painkillers. <laughs> See, now I'm doing it. <laughs> prescription painkillers. And from there, it just led to an addiction. And by the time I kind of found out what was going on, he was already full-blown addicted. Hmm. So I reached out to a couple other families and parents that I knew and found out that this was a much bigger problem than just what was happening to my son, Cameron. Right. So we got together actually in my living room. There was about 10 of us and we just were brainstorming on things that we could do to raise awareness in the community. So we were originally called the Heroin Awareness Committee. Okay. My daughter designed the logo. She was 16 at the time and or she was actually 14 at the time because my son was 16. Yeah. And she was a huge part in that, and my son helped as well. And then it just kind of started um, growing from there. We did a 5K awareness walk run, and there was about 300 people that showed up. Mm. So that just kind of showed us that this was something that needed to be talked about, especially mm. in the community that we were in. There was a lot of stigma around addiction. Mm. There was a lot of shame attached to it. People didn't want to talk about it. Right. And then here we were, these moms and grandparents talking about our loved ones that were struggling with addiction, and they were teenagers. Mm -hmm. So most people didn't think, you know, that, that that could happen to young people like that. Wow. So, so we started small, and we just grew, and we got our nonprofit status in 2012. Mm -hmm. 
um, which would choose huge for us because then we could start fundraising. And so then we just started fundraising and we really were just doing awareness events. So we were speaking in schools. We were having big um, events at community centers where we would invite parents and family members. And it was just, you know, a, a group of us trying to educate people on the things that we didn't know, mm -hmm. what we didn't know and what we wish we would have known. Yeah. And so, you know, we probably did 30 speaking events in about two years. Just whoever would listen to us. Um, we went to Española and spoke to parents. We went to Socorro. I mean, we were kind of all over the state. Just yeah. any, any venue or any event that was already happening, we were trying to get, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes at so that mm -hmm. we could tell our story and hopefully help somebody else. Yeah. And then from there, we, um, you know, my son never really got access to good treatment here in New Mexico. Mm. I mean, he was under the age of 18 when he started um, needing help, and there was nothing. I had to send him out of state several times for oh, treatment. Yeah, yeah. And as a mom, you send your kid out of state. You don't know where they're, where they're going. You can't go readily visit them. Mm -hmm. You know, they have limited access to the phone when they're on treatment, so you really just kind of don't know what's happening. And so I... I found out the hard way that there was a huge lack of treatment resources in New Mexico right. for for young people. So that's where we kind of came up with the idea of Serenity Mesa. Incredible. Just uh, hit the ground running with the, the work that needed to be done for your family and others. Um, I'd love to back up just a little bit and think about where do you think that this stigma comes from? Why is it that even today, sometimes it's difficult to talk about, even, even given over the last five to 10 years, the awareness and education that I think New Mexico has had as a a state, a painful education of where we're at with addiction. Why do you think that the stigma continues? I think the stigma, I think it's so in, ingrained in us as, you know, we always think of someone who's addicted to drugs as just, you know, someone who lives on the streets, someone who's homeless, someone who's robbing people, who's breaking into houses, breaking, you know, stealing cars. Mm -hmm. There's that stigma that goes along with someone who's struggling with addiction. And that's, you know, that's been part of our culture for as long as I can remember. Yeah. And I think now, I, I think it's for a lot of families, it's just embarrassing. Mm. It's just embarrassing. People just don't want to talk about it. You know, not my kid. And we have had um, a lot change in the last 10, 12 years because people are realizing that it can happen to them. Right. You know, I mean, they it's no longer something that just happens in certain areas of the city. I mean, we see in Albuquerque just the changes that we've experienced over the last five, six, seven years with homelessness mm -hmm. and people struggling with mental health issues. That also leads to substance use. Right. So it's hard to tell which one comes first, but inevitably they usually all are somewhat tied together. Mm -hmm. And so there's a stigma attached to homeless people because of that. And I think we just... For people that haven't lived it or that, that haven't been close to it, it's easier for them to um, stigmatize it because then it, it, it keeps them safe. They think, mm -hmm. yeah, oh, it can't mm -hmm. happen to me right. if I stay away from it or if I don't allow myself to become part of the solution. They can distance themselves from it and I think somewhat think to themselves that they're going to be safe from it. Right. Yeah, I think that the even the subconscious thought that it can't happen to me or my, anyone in my family is keeps people distance from it. Um, right. Yeah, and I, I think parents are afraid to talk to their kids. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, it goes back to like you know in the old days, like sex education. You know, right. parents thought if they talked to their kids about sex, that they were giving them a, a free hallway pass to go have sex. Yep. And now, I think parents sometimes have that misconception mm -hmm. if they talk to their kids about drugs that they're 
opening a Pandora's box. Mm -hmm. And, and that really isn't the case. They need to have that conversation. Right. I would agree. And I think that um, in reading the the mission of healing addiction in our community, and we can talk about how that name changed too, mm-hmm. uh, it specifically says transforming the community through compelling connections, advocacy, and education to prevent substance abuse. So at the larger level, you are identifying particular um, concepts in the community healing um, that that sort of promote the healing itself. And, and so if you could break it down a little bit into that work, there's com- compelling connections. There's the advocacy. I'm fully aware that the legislative work is being done right now this week by your husband. He's, he's present up there. Yep. And often you are too. We'll get a little bit more into that and the education. Cause I think what you're mentioning about going out into the schools when you guys were first, first starting is something you continue to do. Anybody who will listen, anybody who gives you time, what are those aspects of that mission? Yeah, like you said, any any chance that we get, and so we've grown a lot, you know, over the last right. twelve years. I mean, we definitely have expanded. We don't do as much kind of grassroots um, education stuff as we used to, just because you know we have Serenity Mesa, we have the treatment center, we're right. doing a lot with legislation. Yeah. So I mean, we've kind of we we still have speakers that go into the schools and talk. It's just we've we've kind of grown. Um, into bigger things. I mean, we've, you know, we've spoken at national conferences, mm-hmm. things like that. So I think the, the education, the prevention awareness is still a huge part of our mission. And we, we do as much as, of it as we can. Um, the community connection, it's really building relationships with um, other providers that are mm-hmm. out there, mm-hmm. other resources that if a parent calls me and, and they're, they have a, a loved one that's struggling, whether it's a son or daughter or a fr- family member that I know off the top of my head of three or four places yeah. that I can send them, you know, because that's network. Yeah. And it's and the thing I like about New Mexico is, <clears throat> you know, we don't have it's not a big competitive thing between resources. We all work together so that we can help um, a person that's in need, get them the resources that they need right away. And it may not be Serenity Mesa. It may be mm-hmm. Endorphin Power Company. Mm-hmm. It may be Turning Point. Right. I mean, it, it could be a different program and that's okay. Right. And we get them the help that they need. Yeah. Because the point is the compassion. The point is to meet somebody where they are with what they need. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I want to highlight a little bit of your advocacy that that I'm that I'm aware of, and and then we can talk a little bit more about what you guys are doing, and maybe how other pe- people can get involved in supporting the network that you that you're in. Um, so, in spe- in addition, speaking at national conferences about youth addiction uh, and our, the general opiate ed- epidemic, you've been featured in the New York Times, in the Washington Post, USA Today, Sports Illustrated, and there's even two different documentaries related to the work that you've done, uh, called Locker Room Addiction and Gateway. Can we talk a little bit about how you are promoting this awareness and how it, it's come to be? Let's maybe even move a little bit into the stories of where the documentaries turned into. Yeah, the documentaries, Locker Room Addiction was the first one we did, and it, it aired on um, on DirecTV, on different channels on DirecTV, and it was the first one I did, so it was really it was really difficult because it was it was hard to talk about my son. It was hard to, you know, to go into that level of, of detail, but it was important because like the title suggests locker room addiction, it was about athletes that get mm-hmm. addicted mm-hmm. and it's so common where athletes get injured. They, um, I mean, even if you get in a car accident, you don't even necessarily need to be an athlete, but you get addicted to, to, you know, painkillers right. and it can move to something else pretty quickly. So that advocacy is really important. And the same with gateway gateway, came out in 2020. So it was right before COVID, 20, late 2019, early 2020. Mm. And we were doing, um, we, it was been shown in New York and Los Angeles and film festivals across the United States. 
Um, you can watch it online. You can just Google um, the Gateway film, and it's about the opioid epidemic. Yeah. And it is, it, it features several different stories, Cameron's story being one of them. And it, it just dif gives different angles about how the opioid epidemic affected different people in different ways. And, you know, some of them, it's, it ended up to be a, a really powerful and good story because they found recovery. Oh, wow. And yeah. other, other people weren't as lucky. Mm -hmm. But it, it tells a very raw, real story about um, what happened and what unfortunately continues to happen. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's also a couple of, I think, uh, movies out lately that, that discuss the opioid crisis and where it stems from. Yeah. Um, yep. With pharmaceutical companies entirely being tied into the experience. And, and I think that that, I think if you pair, if you, if you work with all of the, uh, centers of information that we're receiving about why this is happening and continues to happen, these are really powerful documentaries to start with. And yeah. I appreciate you being a part of that. Cause just like you said, I can't imagine how difficult it is to continually talk about something that is a traumatic piece of your life in mm -hmm. order to help others. Uh, so I, I just a huge piece of gratitude to you for that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And it's, you know, I would, I think that Cameron would want me to tell the story mm -hmm. because I remember when he was struggling in his addiction, he didn't know what it meant to be addicted right. to drugs. I mean, that wasn't something that he woke up thinking one day, this is going to be my life. Yeah. I mean, as he fell into it, you know, he didn't know what he didn't know. And so I know that he had told me, I don't want this to happen to anybody else. Oh. And so I know like he would want me to be his voice and to keep kids from making making those same decisions that he made. Mm -hmm. And families being able to recognize some signs right? and community members coming together to, to like you said, even like, let, let's not wait until something really critical happens or, or this person passes away, but how can we as a community come together to provide them with the resources um, mm -hmm. no matter who they are, where they are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's talk a little um, brass tacks about Serenity Mesa. How does somebody find you and what is the experience for um, I don't, I know that there isn't one average person, mm -hmm. um, but what is the process to go through the living? So, um, Serenity Mesa is our treatment center. So we provide substance use treatment to young people ages 14 to 21. Um, we also have a housing program that we, that we recently opened. So I can talk a little bit about that too, yeah. but our, our treatment center is an inpatient treatment center, so they can stay 90 to 120 days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the average experience for a young person that comes into Serenity Mesa, you know, it it's, can be scary at first because treatment is scary. Um, but you come in and, um, you know, we expose you to a lot of different things. We expose you to, um, you know, therapy. We expose you to um, case management. So we do a lot of things with our case management services, just depending on where the individual is. If they don't have their driver's license, if they don't have their social security card, birth certificate. Right all their like documents, that's kind of the first thing that we work on. We make sure that they're, they have insurance, make sure that, you know, all the basics are met. Mm -hmm. And then we go from there, you know, where, where do you want to go when you, do you want to go to school? Do you want to go to college? Um, you know, we work on their high school education, help them get their GED or their mm -hmm. high school diploma. And then whatever their job, um, you know, readiness skills look like, we try and um, enhance those as well and then help yeah. them get a job. So case management services are, are really robust. The therapy that they get, we have some, some wonderful therapists that provide um, both individual and group therapy. And they work with them on relapse prevention. They work with them on their triggers, mm -hmm. their trauma. We're very trauma-informed, so we work on... Like, why did you start using in the first place? Right. You know, did you have a traumatic event that then you're trying mm -hmm. to self-medicate by using drugs or alcohol? Right. And, you know, we do a lot of experiential learning. So, you know, 
going on hikes. Um, we go to CrossFit, so we take them to CrossFit twice a week. So I think having the having um, exercise and being outside and getting your body moving right. really contributes to recovery as well, and it helps them feel better because a lot of times they haven't been taking care of themselves. So it gets them out, gets them their bodies moving, their brains functioning again, and then they start experiencing positive emotions that aren't necessarily tied to to drugs anymore. Right. With a, a community of peers. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's yeah. a small group. How, what, how many people are in, in your facility right now? Uh, we have 14 beds. So we have 14 right now. Mm -hmm. So we're full. Um, always full. Yeah, always full. Always full. And if we uh, have a bed open, we try and get the next person in as quickly as possible. We have a relatively quick and easy intake process. So, you know, we just interview the person, find out where they're at, make sure they're clinically appropriate for the services that we offer, and then we try and get them in as quickly as possible. So really you're turning somebody's life around within a matter of hours if they are committed to being a part of it. Yeah, we can get people in the same day. If we have a bed available and they're mm -hmm. ready and willing to come, we can get them in immediately. And that's that's our goal. You know, is we don't want to put a bunch of red tape in right. place. Like if somebody wants treatment, they usually want it right right then and right now. Mm -hmm. And it mean that they might not feel the same, you know, tomorrow. Right. So we want to get them in as quickly as we can. Well, and you're getting them into Serenity Mesa, which is exactly what it says. I've, I've seen pictures of the renovated building. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen pictures of the, the location outside. So I feel like you are creating purposely an environment for them that is wellness-centered, that is um, aesthetically pleasing, and you're, they're surrounded by people who care about them 24 hours a day. Yeah, and we have... You know, we have animals, we have chickens, we mm -hmm. have ducks, we have dogs that live on our campus. I yeah. mean, we, we, we're not a, a, what you would think of as a traditional treatment center. Right. It's very comforting. It's a very comfortable place. Like you said, it's just, it doesn't have a hospital feel to it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's more of a home. And a lot of our clients have never had a stable home before. And it's participatory, right? Yeah. They have to take care of it. There's, there's some part of their experience is taking care of the facility. Right, right. They, you know, they help us maintain it. They help yeah. us maintain the property. They help, um, you know, whether it's campus cleanup or they have to do daily chores, you know, to make sure that the, the house, the inside stays clean, sanitary and picked up because mm -hmm. you got 14 teenagers living right. <laughs> in two different houses. We have one for males, one for females. It can get pretty messy no pretty joke. quick. Yeah. <laughs> Whether they're related or not, they're yeah. of the age. Well, and what can I say? I'm a full-grown adult, and I was considering whether or not to do dishes last night. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And we t and it's part of life skills, too, because, you know, if, if they're not taught how to properly make a bed, how to do laundry. Mm -hmm. I mean, we get kids that, you know, they have no idea how to do laundry. You know, they don't, they've yeah. never done laundry before or... They've never been taught the proper way to do laundry. Yeah. They don't know how to how to make a meal other than maybe ramen or something mm -hmm. in a microwave. So there's a lot of skills that we teach that when they graduate and, you know, they may go into our housing program after that, our apartment program, um, or even if they don't, they they know how to take care of themselves. Yeah. Some, so many things that we take for granted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would love to hear more about the housing program because I think there there was something I read about you guys having some uh, vouchers. Yes, we yeah. have we have um, two different types of funding for housing, and you do have to qualify for it. So mm -hmm. it is something that's that's predominantly for people that are experiencing homelessness or mm -hmm. people that are precariously housed yeah. they don't have a stable living situation. It goes up to age 24, so we can expand our age group a little bit, and we do have scattered site apartments throughout the city of Albuquerque. Okay, who so, do you work with on that, if I may? Uh, the city, city of Albuquerque. Okay. So yeah, the funding comes from the city of Albuquerque. Uh, we work with several different apartment complexes. Yeah. So we don't really have one that we use 
um, we try and put them all over the place. Yeah. So but you have, have relationships with those property managers? Yeah, we or, do. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. great. That helps a lot. Yeah, it does help a lot. And then, you know, we, like I said, we pay the rent, we, we support them, we have move-in expenses that we can pay so we can help them with that's their damage deposit, with their furniture, getting them, you know, if they're not on, on SNAP benefits, then getting them food and cleaning supplies and all those things that are so expensive when you're trying yeah. to move in an apartment. So the continuing continuum of care isn't just the medical, emotional, therapeutic. It is the understanding what they're walking into when they leave you. Yeah, exactly. And giving them the tools that if they're presented with an opportunity to use again, um, they have the skills to to turn that around. And if they do make a mistake and and have a slip, then they can get back on their feet again mm. and get back to where they were. So mm. I think that's that's our main focus is, yeah, relapse can be part of recovery. It doesn't yeah. always end up that way, but mm -hmm. sometimes it can be. And you don't have to let that, um, you know, take away everything that you've worked hard to get. You can get back on your feet and mm -hmm. dust yourself off and get back on track. Mm -hmm. At a quicker rate, especially. Right. Can you tell me, um, before we move on, is there a certain percentage of folks who are taking advantage of that 90 day with you or 120 even? We, most of our clients stay 90 days. I yeah. mean, we do get, um, some that, that only stay 30 days. I mean, we, we're a voluntary program. Mm -hmm. So we tell them like, we like, would like you to stay 90 days. If you stay yeah. 90 days, we can consider you a graduate. So we have a graduation party. You get a photo album with all the pictures that you've taken while you're there with all their, they get to make, you know, they get to be pretty good friends with the, the kids that they're living with. Mm -hmm. And, and we have a celebration and they get a coin. And so it's a big deal. We make a big deal of it. So yeah. a lot of kids do stay 90 days just because, mm -hmm. you know, they want to graduate and they want to have, they want to see that they, that it's, it's a, a goal, I think, for a lot of them just to see if they can make it. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, what are you excited about? What's coming up? Um, I want to put a plug in for your fundraiser which I think is a poker night. Yeah. You usually yeah, have a golf tournament. Mm -hmm. Hello, volunteer right here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else? All right. I'm going to make a note of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have our casino night. Casino it's our night. second annual casino night. Yeah. Um, it is coming up in June and I believe it is. Let me look at the date really quick. We haven't sent out anything yet, um, but we are um, starting to plan that and it's going to be June 8th. Okay. Um, so check our Facebook page, website, et cetera. And we'll be posting information on that as we get closer. We also have our, um, golf tournament. Our golf tournament will be in September. We don't have a date yet, but it's usually, um, the second or third Saturday in September at UNM South championship golf right. course. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of two great fundraisers, um, that, you know, cater to different likes that people That's, like, you yeah. know, we have the golfers and they love to golf. And then we have everybody, you know, the casino night is just a blast. It's, mm -hmm. it's just a really good time, good food. And, you know, obviously it's fake money. It's not real money, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's fun. It's, it's a good time. Where do you hold that? Um, it's at a, the, last year we had it at a venue, um, in the South Valley and I can't remember the actual name of it, but I, I think we're going to have it in the same venue this year. It was really nice. Oh, it was yeah. just kind of a, a small venue. They do a lot of quinceaneras there and, graduations and stuff like that. So it was cool. a very nice um, venue that's kind of hidden. It's a hidden gem. Right on. Okay, I'll look out for that. Yeah. June 8th. June 8th. Yeah. Which feels right around the corner all of a sudden, even though January is the longest month of the entire year. I know. I know. I keep thinking, like, Christmas seems like it was so long ago. Mm -hmm. It does. <laughs> but as soon as we hit, you know, March, then it seems like the year's over. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It, trail it, it flies by. Um, so... 
I was able to take advantage of um, Skatomania mm-hmm. a couple of months ago and uh, just bring folks in to raise some awareness around a couple of different nonprofits. And I was really excited to see you guys come through with some of your residents um, and they seem to have a really good time. And just to me, like seeing them interact together, you can tell that these people value one another and they value the community, like a tight knit community. Mm-hmm. And I think that that night was um, just a little bit of me to see the evidence of what you're, the beauty of what you're building and, and these, the strength of what these people are taking away from Serenity Mesa as a whole. And um, it's not the kind of thing people would see on a regular basis unless they interacted with you more often or maybe offered something to your group to do. Right. Um, is, and so that maybe that, that's two questions. What are the, who are the community partners that you work with on a regular basis to do some of the activities that you do or fundraisers and whatnot? And um, how can an organization or an individual um, provide something to your residents? Oh, gosh, we work with a number of different partners, Um, you know, just kind of like we have a lot of sponsors that sponsor our golf tournaments. Mm -hmm. We have some sponsors that sponsor our casino night. Mm -hmm. We work a lot with um, uh, Youth Development Incorporated, YDI. They they have um, programs that we don't have, so we utilize a lot of their programs. Mm -hmm. We work with La Placita. They're they're located in the South Valley, and they have um, youth-based programs that Mm -hmm. we also take advantage of as well. So, you know, we, we don't want to reinvent the wheel, so we try and find um, other places. 508 Warehouse, which I think changed their name. I think they're called 505. Warehouse 505. Yeah, yeah, Warehouse 505. We work with them. Um, just, you know, anybody that's, we work with uh, Mandy's Farm in the South Valley. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we're, we actually, we take our kids every Thursday to um, the Bernalillo County Animal Shelter. Um, that's on Second Street in the South Valley, and we started doing that a couple months ago, and the kids love it. Like we walking take them, the dogs, yeah, walking the dogs, oh, and cuddling cats. Yep, yep. <laughs> they go in the cat house. We're always wanting to to bring a cat back. So one of these days, we may end up with a cat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Serenity Mesa, which would be fine because we have sweet. a lot of mice. So right. <laughs> he has a lot of he would have a job to do, yeah. but they they love it. They just they they love they love getting out, and they I like to take them places because it does help break the stigma because you mm. see this young group mm-hmm. of people. And they look rough. I mean, some of them look look a little rough, and because that's just the environment that they've been raised in. Yeah. But then when you get them in an environment like roller skating or something like that, they they all of a sudden they're little kids again. Yeah. And they're they're having a blast, and it's good to see. It's good to see. For me, it's good to see them exposed to those kind of activities and having fun like that. And I think it's good for the public to see that too. Right. Well, and part and something you mentioned as part of what you do with them, the whole spectrum of work you do with them is in encouraging them to take part in community service. Mm-hmm. And so, for the, the Bernalillo County um, Animal Shelter is an example of that. And I think that's a great tie-in to sort of their membership and 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 living a life of purpose that you want them to live. Yeah, exactly. And it it you know they it teaches them to take care of another life. You know, mm-hmm. so whether it's they're taking the dogs for a walk, petting them, cleaning out their kennel, feeding them, changing yeah. their water, whatever it is. It's just they're contributing to taking care of another life and giving them a, a more positive experience than they mm-hmm. would have if they weren't there helping them. So maybe um, after hearing this, if there's a group or a nonprofit or somebody who maybe has an experience for your your residents, they can reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, our, our email is info at serenitymesa.com. That's the easiest way to reach us. So they can call at 505-877-3644. Um, and it, and my contact information is on our website as well. So they can reach out. Our website is healingaddictionnm.org. Right. 
So, you know, we also do life skill groups. So if anybody has a specific yeah. area of expertise that they want to come and, and teach our clients, we would love to have, they love, you know, they listen to us all the time. So it's also always nice to bring in a guest speaker. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we have somebody that comes in and teaches them, you know, resume writing skills and interview skills. And so if, if you know, if there's anybody out there listening that has a specific skill that they would like to cool. share, we would love that. Great. Um, you know, and I didn't mean for this entire thing to be about Serenity Mesa, but I, at the same time, I'm really glad to hear what you have to say because I think more people should be aware of not just what you offer, but the environment that you're working in. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to ask you two more questions. We might, might go a little bit over. Um, one is uh, I, you mentioned that there is a new program coming to Serenity Mesa. Talk to me a little bit about that this summer. We are planning to open a detox. So it'll be one of the first adolescent detoxes in the state. There are adolescent um, detox services available on an outpatient basis, mm -hmm. but there isn't anything inpatient. So it'll be an inpatient. For the same ages? Yeah. 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 And it'll be three to five days. And so, you know, somebody can get medically assisted treatment while they're detoxing, which is really important right now, especially for the drugs that are on the street and the drugs that people are using. My word. Yeah. Yeah. So it's... It's something that's necessary, um, and it's something that's been needed for a long time. So we're working, we're partnering with the city and the county to get enough funding together so that we can can get this thing off the ground. So Amazing. we're hoping hoping to open uh, late spring, early summer. Okay, thank you for that. Gosh, um, from what I've witnessed, it's it's incredibly needed. And thank you for, especially those yeah. ages. That's the, the, the whole point, right? Right. And right now they're, you know, they go, their only option is to go to the ER and yes. no, you know, you're not going to get a teenager to sit in an ER waiting room for eight to 10 hours while they're detoxing. It's mm -hmm. just, it's just not, it's not going to happen. Okay. So it's happening for you in the summer. Yes. Awesome. I'm putting it out there to the universe. It yeah. will happen. It will happen. <laughs> it's going <Right>. to happen. <laughs> um, so I, I want to wrap this up a little bit more personally, if I may just uh, talk to me about you know, you you have your undergrad and your master's at UNM. You you are you are from this community. You live in it. You live in um, an environment that can be really challenging. And I wonder how it is that um, you know. I want to. I, I can surmise that you and your husband, who, who I think have a really beautiful love story, mm -hmm. keep yourselves up with your animals and your CrossFit and a little bit of travel and and just sustaining support for one another. But how do you? take a deep breath and do some self-care and still stay connected to what matters most. Gosh, that's a, yeah, that's a challenge for sure. It's a challenge. You know, we talk about it at work all the time mm -hmm. just with our staff because, you know, we, we have some really hard days where we have to make really difficult decisions or we get really difficult news yeah. about former clients. Right. And, and so I think, you know, we're constantly at work talking about self-care. My husband and I work together, so we run Serenity Mesa together. Mm -hmm. And so we have a rule that after 5 o'clock, we don't talk about work. Okay. So that's one thing. It's just unless there's an emergency going on or unless one of us are on call, we just don't talk about work. Yeah. And that's how I keep some of my sanity. But, you know, we, we, we have a grief counselor that comes and she works with some of our staff. So if we do have a, um, a former client that passes away, mm -hmm. we have resources for that. And I think for me working out is probably my biggest stress relief. So I go to the gym a lot. I work out a lot. Yeah. Um, my animals, I have three dogs, <laughs> so they keep me busy. Three big dogs, mm -hmm. they keep me busy and just trying to disconnect, make sure that I disconnect on the weekends Yeah, and I'm not working from home. Mm -hmm. Those are the big things. Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to have to have you back because we're, we're, I want to talk a little bit more about just 
the beautiful Jennifer Burke. <laughs> I would like to come back. Good. Maybe next time we can meet at our gym. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. You guys, we're going to do a remote podcast at an amazing gym. Um, yes. Maybe we'll rope David in too. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. He would love that. Okay. So um, again, let me please extend my, my deep gratitude to you for the work that you do and ask that um, everybody here listening, maybe take a moment to go to healingaddictionnm.org to check out what you do, see where they can get involved um, and just reach out uh, even if you can't offer something, but if you need something. Yeah, absolutely. And if you if you have somebody that needs help, reach out to us. I mean, if even if you have a loved one that's not in our age group, 14 to 21, yeah, yeah. we get phone calls from people all the time. And we, we don't ever let anybody off the phone unless we've given them two or three options for, for treatment. Excellent. So if you call us, we, we have resources that we can refer you to. What's that number again? 877-3644. Thank you, Jen. Yeah, thank you. All right. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to the ABQ accent, this particular accent in, uh, today. And we hope that you return to hear another ABQ accent.